0: Hello and welcome to the Guna Talk. Back again with you guys for another episode of what is the Arsenal Transfer Show. Joining you every morning at 8am UK time. Hope you're doing good. Hope you're doing well. Thank you as always for making this a part of your morning routines. Uh, Thank you. I don't know why I've got the slide up straight away. It's a bit of a tease I suppose already for uh, the first story of today. But good morning. Uh, thank you, as always, everybody, uh, for tuning in. It's very much appreciated. Do all those good things like you usually do, dropping a like, subscribing if you're new, everything else. We do these every single day at 8 a.m., so do make sure that you tune in. Uh, good morning to those in the chat box. Uh, Anko joining us. Uh, Ans, Paul, Arasilki, Blackshine, Martin, Olu, Odirile, Rob. We've got Morgie, Kaiser, Tony, Kabir, Akmal, Stephen, Steve, John, Stevie, Chima, uh, and we've got plenty more of you guys as well. Thank you so much, as always, everybody, for tuning in. It's very much appreciated. And uh, I hope you've had a good weekend so far. I hope your Saturday was good, and I hope your Sunday uh, is is going to be strong as well. So, without further ado, let's crack on with today's stories. You've already seen it on your screens. Uh, PSG's Luis Campos, uh, who's kind of was that uh, big, I suppose, uh, identifier of talent at Monaco, and then. Lille as well, and now is at PSG, and apparently, according to RMC Sport, uh, approached Mikel Arteta about becoming the next PSG head coach. However, Arteta turned down the job, saying that uh, his focus is very much on Arsenal uh, right now, and very much on trying to get Arsenal to the top, and he's very happy with the project that's going on at the club as well, and Arteta turning down a potential move to uh, the French capital instead. So... Positive news in that sense. Indeed, very much agree with Arasilki. Hands off. Uh, That is the approach that I think that we should certainly be taking. Arteta has done a brilliant job at Arsenal, and we are hoping to see it continue and see this project come to fruition. So let's wait and see what happens. Crystal Palace are said to have joined the race for Balogun. Ryan Taylor of The Express reporting this story. Very interesting move, potentially, by Arsenal and see him move to another Premier League team if indeed they do allow that to happen. And Crystal Palace, of course, I remember all those days where we used to do transfer shows and we were crying out for Arsenal to sign Edson Edouard. Do you remember those days when he was at Celtic and we were crying out for Arsenal uh, to go out and sign him? But uh, it's not worked out. Well enough, and now they're looking to bring in another striker. And could it be following Balogun that turns out to be that player? We will wait and see, but Arsenal will hopefully make a significant amount of money on any potential sale that following and Balogun, of course, can bring into the club this summer. Now, according to the Mail, Arsenal are willing to allow Sambi Lekonga, uh to leave on loan again during this summer window. There's not said to be a significant amount of interest um, in the player from a permanent exit perspective. Um, there's not been too much interest in that regard. But Arsenal may be willing to allow him to leave on loan with Burnley said to be interested, of course, Laconga pictured here previously working with Vincent Compia and elect. could this be the move which revives his career, which gets Arsenal into a stronger position financially to move him on in the summer of 2024? We'll have to wait and see, but that would certainly be the strategy behind any Laconga loan at this stage. But a lack of potential suitors for Laconga uh, offering uh, enough money. I remember, I think we saw a bid rejected uh, from France for Laconga in January, a uh, significant financial uh, sorry, a, a non-significant financial amount was offered, I think, to Arsenal, who turned that down. And we'll see what happens in the end this summer. But Le Conga's future seems certainly away from Arsenal at this point. Sticking with potential exits, and Newcastle are said to be interested in signing Mark Cucurea from Chelsea with a, a value of £30 million, potentially enough to get hold of the Spanish international, which, of course, uh, according to the Mirror, puts Kieran Tierney's move Into doubt. Uh, Arsenal uh, have been open to moving on Kieran Tierney if they get a significant amount of money into the side. But if Arsenal are indeed watching on as Newcastle, who look to be the number one suitor for Kieran Tierney, moving instead for Mark Kukurea, who is available at a cut price fee, maybe that will make it much more difficult for Arsenal to get a good fee, not only a good fee, but even an exit for Kieran Tierney. Now, I know there are a lot of fans out there that are very happy to keep Kieran Tinney. I would be fine in keeping Kieran Tinney at the club. He's a very good player. Um, However, I feel as though from his perspective, he wants more assurances about, you know, how much game time he's getting and stuff like that. And the openness to leave has definitely been on the club and the players' part. If he stays, I think he's one of those players where we're more than happy to see him stay. If he goes, we've just got to hope that we get a significant amount of money in that direction. Can I just say that also, you know, we talk about Arsenal underselling players you know we're starting to see Chelsea make significant like losses if you like on players although what I would say is that um it's it's difficult kind of uh in terms of how it looks on the books, even though they commit a certain amount of money to a player, the amortization of fees across a contract of so many years. Havertz, for instance, you know, I think they've only paid something like 26 to 30 million pounds or something on the books of that fee to buy a Leverkusen. So if they sell him for 60 million, it actually looks like more of a profit depending on how much is paid up front. So uh, it's difficult to work out kind of things, but it's interesting to see Chelsea making significant losses. They paid like 50 million plus pounds for Kukurea, that could sell him for 30 uh, and they, paid like something upwards of £70 million for Havertz and they could lose him for at least £10 million less than that. So let's see what happens in that regard. Uh, Moises Caicedo, according to the BBC, is still said to be interested in the player and they're monitoring the situation. I have said this for some time with you guys. I said, I don't think that Arsenal's interest is cooled because they're not interested anymore. I think they're focused very much on the Declan Rice situation and the Kai Havertz situation and that they are just going to be looking and waiting to see what happens with Chelsea. If Chelsea manage to agree a reasonable figure with Brighton, four as Caicedo, I wouldn't be surprised to see to see Arsenal come in and bid and match that equal offer to see if then Caicedo makes a decision to take the turn and switch to Arsenal. we we'll would have to wait and see, but that supposedly, according to the BBC, is what Arsenal are doing right now. Is they're monitoring the situation regarding Caicedo and Chelsea in those talks and those discussions between the club. And David Ornstein revealed that two weeks ago, um, Chelsea had a bid of £60 million rejected for Moises Caicedo. That's £10 million less than the figure that Arsenal bid for Moises Caicedo in in January of earlier this year. It's a very, very strange thing to not see Arsenal you know, um, rather not see Chelsea face the same level of criticism that Arsenal had when they supposedly bid a derisory, quote, embarrassing offer for Declan Rice. I saw a video, I think Rory Talks Football was the, the video I saw, uh, and he summed it up very well um, regarding the the latest situation um, on kind of the, the the perspective, if you like, of how Arsenal are being treated um, publicly and how Chelsea have been treated Publicly for their spending and their mistakes, because surely the embarrassing offer on a Chelsea side of things is putting in ten million pound less than what Arsenal added in January after even he'd signed a brand new contract. We're just different gravy. People love talking about Arsenal. We are living in the minds, rent free of so many people that it's so easy to just you know criticize us. And yet, when anyone else does something, it's like nothing. And apparently, Arsenal is slow. Well, why haven't Chelsea? got this deal done. How come Man City haven't wrapped up Kovacic yet? How come Manchester United have not wrapped up Mason Mount yet? You know, we constantly talk about how slow Arsenal are, you know, and people look at McAllister going to Liverpool, which by the way was a release clause and yet nothing said, but because it's Arsenal, lo and behold, it's Arsenal. We have to talk about it rent-free indeed. Now, according to Fabrizio Romano, Arsenal's deal for Declan Rice is entering what he describes as, quote, crucial days. Now, I feel like I remember a few days ago the deal was entering a critical stage. I don't know what the difference between a critical stage and crucial days are or a crucial period, maybe in the terminology that was used a few days ago. I don't know what the difference is, but apparently we're entering crucial days. Uh, I don't know. I don't know about you, um, but uh, I'm got, I'm starting to get the feeling. I don't know if it's starting is the right word. I think I've had the feeling for a long time that the updates that we're getting um, from specific places, uh, Fabrizio being one of them, you know, very well connected, got lots of different connections and stuff. But it's almost like the tweets are just reworded in different ways, and we're just getting different you know, updates on the same thing. <laughs> it's, that's the way it's starting to feel to me anyway. I feel like we had a, a tweet on Declan Rice that was just worded a very similar way a few days ago. Um, but uh, Arsenal was still said to be confident in this deal. I know the word confident is something that's been talked about a lot. What you need to know, here are the facts. Arsenal have had a bid rejected. Arsenal are intending, if not already, to have made a second bid that is willing to be upwards of 100 million. And we're waiting to see an outcome of that. That's what we're waiting for. That is the situation. That's what you need to know is that the second bid is about to or has already gone in. And uh, we're awaiting an answer on what that, that that will be. And, you know, I'm not surprised that David Ornstein, uh, of course, first tweeted out that that bid had gone in. And then we quickly heard from a number of outlets that had been rejected. And then I, doing some digging myself, got you the information around the um, the kind of the, the add-on situation, what Arsenal wanted to include, what... Um, West Ham want to include and the the disparity, is that the right word? The difference, I suppose, between the two. And then my colleague, Kai Kainaka, Football London, reporting that it was a six-year instalment of that 80 million guaranteed. So new information is what we want. (laughs) I have to say, it gets pretty frustrating that we're just given kind of the reworded Uh, updates if you like Um, but we'll still talk about (laughs) we'll still talk about that's for sure and sticking uh, with Arsenal's priority targets uh, according to Jacob Steinberger of course also one of the key uh, reporters in what's going on around the Declan Rice deal reporting that 60 million should be enough for Arsenal to sign Kaya Havertz uh, in this summer transfer window. Of course, Arsenal had that £55 million pound bid all in with add-ons uh, rejected, uh, but negotiations continue. They're said to be continuing in a very positive way and that the clubs are seemingly you know, confident on coming to an agreement and that it will be from below, significantly below anyway, that 70 to £75 million pound valuation that Chelsea have, who Apparently, I saw reports this morning claiming that they even accept that they're being unrealistic with that uh, valuation. So let's see what happens. Um, The more this gets closer, the more excited and intrigued I actually get by it. I'm very intrigued to see what Kai Havertz would do at Arsenal. And if you want to watch our tactical breakdown on Kai Havertz to get a little bit more understanding from the perspective of someone who's seen plenty of him both before he joined Chelsea and afterwards, then I recommend that you go and watch our, uh, our tactical breakdown on Kai Havertz. Right then, that's the end of part one. So let's go to part two and your questions in the chat box right after this.
1: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
0: Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. And the same goes at McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with Mook Delivery. Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. Right then, uh, let's jump into the chat and let's go through some of the questions, uh, what you guys are saying. Matt G says, didn't a few uh, top journalists tell us that top teams were going to bid for Rice on Friday? What's happened? What I would say, Matt, is I always use the iceberg, you know, analogy. Um, We only get a small fraction of the reality of the situation that's what we see bubble up to the surface that's what we see get reported that's what we see from my own perspective getting kind of like doing some digging into sources that we've got at FL in the sense of we only see so little of what the reaction is so uh, I look forward to seeing the reality of the summer come the end of it and seeing what we ended up completing Um, but I'd be intrigued to know what we obviously missed out on so We'll wait and see. Uh, CJ Dan says, Tom, you're not fooling anyone. Havertz signing for that money is real bad business. I mean, who are you or I to even say at this point without even seeing what he's done? There is no one in this world that can have a conclusive view on the Havertz deal without waiting and seeing what happens because... That's not how things work. <laughs> you know, you you can make predictions, you can have an opinion upon what you think might happen, just like I've got on it, you know, which is I'm open to it, I'm intrigued by it, I can kind of see the thinking behind it. But I have also said that I think the money involved is is a big risk. It's a big risk indeed. So I don't know what I'm trying to fool by saying it's a risk, and that's all I've said since the start. But you or anyone else does not have the right to sell somebody that it's not good business until we see. What happens? And we'll have to wait and see uh, what happens. Uh, Jason says, tactical breakdown was class. Thanks, mate. I love the fact that you showed last season in Germany as so many people forget uh, the past that he had as well. Um, Please don't spam the chat. You won't have your question read out. Um, Justin says, 120 million for Rice, then put him on uh, an eight-year contract as well. Uh, I I thought those were being curbed or curtailed, but seemingly I've not heard any update to suggest those eight-year contracts have been um you know curtailed at this stage Jason says according to some the Ramsdale was a bad business at 32 million exactly think about how many people wrote off that Ramsdale deal it's not a good deal terrible decision by Arsenal to do that you know and yet we speak here two seasons later and he's apparently valued according to CIES as the most high value goalkeeper in the world now that's where we're at um so that's the situation you can't rule it out oh I completely missed Kerry Parker thank you so much for becoming a brand new member of the chat box it is very much appreciated not only the chat box but of the channel thank you so much for helping support the channel it is very much appreciated and Kerry says uh, the price for Havertz is just the issue uh, but no doubt about his abilities as well and look, we know the potential that's there as Kerry points out the potential in Havertz has been there and if we were signing him in 2020 I would have been intrigued to see the reaction of people if we were the team that signed him from Bayer Leverkusen three years ago because I think the reaction would have been, wow, Arsenal, what a coot that is, you know, getting one of the most high-profile, highly anticipated young players on the planet who scored 12 goals, six assists at 20 years of age in the Bundesliga, had a fantastic season. You know, I wonder what the reaction would have been. And, you know, three years later, um, let's see. Let's see how indeed a, a refresh, a new environment... Um, kind of uh, is for him if indeed that deal does get done. Oddie uh, Relay says, uh, where do Smithrow and Vieira fit in? They fit in the, into the plans by competing for their place. I was having a good talk with a uh, long-time friend of the channel, Mems, uh, on Twitter yesterday. And Mems tweeted out something. Um, let me find the tweet so I don't misquote him. Where is it? Uh, I think it was at the start of this conversation so Mems tweeted out saying not sure how Kai Havertz fits into the Arsenal team who's he starting ahead of in that front three to which I replied to say that we're not about replacing anymore it's all about strengthening um to which he replied saying it's a lot of money for a backup player and I don't personally think that Havertz for me is a backup I don't look at any of the signings that we look to make these days as backups you know the word backups for me as I've talked about a number of times is is outdated and I think we need to move on from that Um and we need to look at strengthening so the same way in Smith Rowe and Vieira the idea is that they are strength in depth they are options that we can use to rotate that we can change use different keys for different locks in terms of different oppositions in the league and we've got to be able to be better at subbing and Arteta in terms of his own improvements you know he's done a brilliant job but if I am critical of Arteta it's because of for me the um, the rotation and the in-game management—that is an area of Arteta's game that I think needs to improve. And if he has more options, maybe he'll have the confidence to do that more often. But I think that's the important thing for Arteta: is mastering the level of um, mastering that level of of rotation and, and and substitution that he needs to to see Arsenal raise to another level next season um let's go to philip says that's true but not for goalkeepers and center backs though they are backups i think center backs actually you can create competitors look at man city for instance you've got kanji laporte diaz ake you know these guys are competitors i think i've even missed one out uh, it's john stones they you know these are competitive players and from arsenal's perspective we've got saliba and we've got gabriel and we brought in kivior in january to effectively be a competitor. He might be what many would describe as a backup right now, but his youth and his potential and what he's capable of producing in the future, the idea is that he becomes a competitor. So yes, you may sign a player that looks as a more of a backup right now, but the idea is that they become a competitor as they develop, as they improve, and that's what Arsenal are aiming to do. Uh, Vegas Gunner uh, says, if we're going to sell Balogun, I'm glad to hear that Palace may be interested. The Italian teams usually push the loan deal type options. And we have heard, you're right, kind of the Inter Milan, AC Milan said to be interested. Roma, I think, have also had an interest in Balogun. Let's see what happens um, with the uh, the Balogun deal and we'll keep you up to date with any changes, of course, that we see uh, regarding that deal. Uh, Balazs says, Tom, would you see us sign an additional midfielder alongside Rice? And how much would you ask for Balogun from Crystal Palace? My minimum asking price of Balogun is 35 million pounds. 35 million pounds and, you know, potentially from another Premier League club getting a homegrown player, there's an argument that you can push that up closer to 40. I think that's, for me, the figure that I'd be looking to try and get as a minimum expectation. On Balligan, and I'll be disappointed if it's below 30. Very disappointed indeed. So that's what I'll be looking at. And in terms of another midfielder, that's what I think Arsenal want to do. They've wanted to sign two midfielders. They've put two offers in already for two midfielders during this summer. Two offers have indeed gone in for two separate players. That's not including Kai Havertz, if you would include him as a third. If you do include him as a midfielder, Arsenal have made offers for three separate midfielders this summer. So the ad- the, the the intention is there by Arsenal to indeed try and sign Um, to what I would describe as the central midfielders with an additional forward, potentially 8-10 hybrid in in Kai Havertz as well. Um, Front yards, as I think Trusted will surprise and become competition. He's off to our understanding. Um, He's going to be moved on permanently this summer, I'm afraid, to disappoint you. Um, Malesi says, Tom, aren't you concerned with the recent amount of flops, especially in our defence? Too many. Um, Who? Tavares. But Ben White's not been a flop. Tommy Asu's not been a flop. Saliba being integrated to the team certainly hasn't been a flop. Gabriel's not been a flop. Zinchenko's not been a flop. And Kivior has still only been here for six months and I've enjoyed some of the things that I've seen from him. So I'm not sure who we're talking about. Tavares may be the only one that I look at as a flop, to be honest. So Cedric, yes. But that's was 2020, wasn't it? Like coming in in 2020, January signed in the summer but it's three years ago now you know i look at Arsenal's recent business as, as form you know a lot of people like to use runnison and cedric and marie and willianne against edu and Arteta. it's three years ago like, i like to look at what we do recently in the in the market as kind of a a trend for what i can expect in the present rather than what we did three years ago so i look at ben white you know i look at um tommy asu i look at Zinchenko I look at Ramsdale you know which I include in that back unit if you like and it's good business so I don't really know the flop side of things and you know we tend to look at the players we've invested big money into as well your Ben Whites and your Zinchenkos you know we've invested 30 plus million pounds in both of those players and they've come good so yeah I struggle with that I think when we invest a lot of money in players it tends to go in a good direction only Fabio Vieira right now has the question mark over him the others I think certainly are is very positive and Ranson says our oh, hit miss ratio is very positive I think was the hit miss ratio is very positive when you look at the finance of the hit miss so if you look at if you've got one column of hits and you've got the total amount of money invested and the total number of misses and the money invested in those a huge difference Number of players, it's it's closer. And if you listen to our phone in show, me and Vegas Gunner actually sat down and did a hit and miss list. But when you look at the amount of money invested in the hits compared to the amount of money invested in the misses, and you can tell that when we choose to invest a big amount of money, we tend to get good results from those players, which is why I am open to trusting Arteta and Edu and etc. on Havertz, you know, because when they've chosen to invest big money. You know, nine times out of 10, it's, it's come good for us. Uh, the walking man says lots of those flops of three years ago were bought in to tie the team over until the rebuild could get underway. Another really important point and important part of the context of the investment of those early signings as well. The Willian deal, you know, I, my understanding was basically Arteta was told in that summer that he could sign one forwards, and it was basically Willian because he was available on a free. Now, if you think back to that summer uh, of 2020, uh, if we go back then, Arsenal signed uh, Thomas Partey, Gabriel Magalhaes, Pablo Murray, Alex Runnison, Cedric and Willian. We then in January signed Erdegaard and, and Ryan on, on loan. But Willian was the only forward player we signed. And it was my understanding that during that summer that there wasn't any money to strengthen the forward line. And Arteta wanted to bring in a midfielder as an absolute priority. And he wanted to bring in a centre-back as an absolute priority. And we did that with Partey and Gabriel. But the money for a forward wasn't there. And so effectively, it was going to be Willian or nothing. And they decided to go with Willian because obviously he was on a free contract. And they're very fortunate in the end, obviously, that he decided to kind of mutually terminate that deal and didn't really screw us financially letting him go. But uh, I think that that's a really good point. It's all about you know that those early deals were basically to just kind of bulk out the squad with free free deals for Willian and Cedric and a low deal for Marie and a cheap deal for Runnison because they didn't trust um, the backups at the time. So yeah, I, I certainly don't really look at those early deals that we did in the 2020 January window and some of the ones we did in 2020 summer, not Gabriel and party. Of course they were brilliant, but some of the other deals like Ruderson and William, I just don't necessarily look at within much level of criticism because it was really early on. And not only that, but we learned from those mistakes in the window and you look at the business we've done in the last few windows. It's been really, really good. So that gives me plenty of reason to trust the decision-making processes that has got us to a title race where no one thought that was going to be the case. Um, Ivan says, if a club came in for Ben White, would you sell? Absolutely not. It's brilliant. Uh, Jabu says, my only issue here is giving Chelsea money. When it comes to talent ID, I trust Arteta. My guess is Kai is coming in to play left centre mid, which I think will work well. I think I and I absolutely sympathise with those of you that don't want to give Chelsea money. Yeah, I get that. I can't have a you know I don't have a view on that, which is disparaging in any way to anyone that doesn't want to give Chelsea money because I feel the same way and it's uncomfortable. What I would say is that I think they've recognised that Kai Havertz as a profile is someone that has produced insane amounts of of quality when he was at Bayer Leverkusen, that he's been in an environment at Chelsea that's not suited him and that I don't think there's going to be a better opportunity potentially ever to get him as good as what he might get because you've got Mauricio Pochettino coming in. If Mauricio Pochettino gets some really good things out of Kai Havertz, they're never going to let him go. And if they do, it's going to be for a huge, huge fee. So I think Arsenal are looking at this as maybe an opportunity to be a bit savvy and smart and get him for a lower fee than he would actually be available for. So let's wait and see um, what happens. But this is what I'm saying to people. You know, I think it was Chan earlier on in the chat said, you know, um, you can't, uh, for me, you can't just go, it's a bad deal and yeah, that's it because we have to wait and see you know we have to wait and see what happens um Raphael says hey tom great show as always i particularly enjoy when you and harry see do a show together continue the good work thanks mate harry i'm sure will be coming back on soon i did also see uh, this morning uh, a tweet from where's the tweet um was it mark i think it was mark uh, mark taylor uh, tweeted me saying dan uh, dan Potts and tom when are you two are doing are doing another show together i'm sure it's going to be soon um don't you worry uh, we always enjoy jumping on to each other's channels and uh, and having a good chat about arsenal so that will happen very soon i'm sure um just fans says arsenal uh, one will decide between arsenal and barca soon well I don't know where you've heard that from. <laughs> I hope you're right. <laughs> and I hope that it's Arsenal. Because if Arsenal get Ilkay Gundogan in, that would be a really, really good bit of business by Arsenal. If you were wondering why when I said we've made offers for three uh, players, those three players are Declan Rice, Kai Havertz, and Ilkay Gundogan is the third. He's the other player that we've made an offer for, uh, obviously on a free contract. So that's the other player Arsenal have made an offer for during this window already. Which is why also I also have that sympathy. The window opened four days ago but even 2 days ago when the window had been open for 2 days for those of people that think arsenal moved too slowly in the 2 days that the window's been open arsenal have had a bid rejected for rice and a second bid is expected to go in they've had a bid rejected for kai havertz and another bids expected to go in they've made an offer to ilkay gundogan they've signed william Kaliba up to a, william Kaliba, <laughs> william saliba up to a new contract agreed I don't see that as slow, you know. I see that as being pretty proactive. Yes, I think there's some questionable bids that have been in for Rice, particularly. Um, and we're interested in Lavia, as Reese points out as well. And there's an intention to move for Lavia, it seems, as a potential alternative to Caissero, if indeed I think the, the Gundawan deal maybe falls through. So I don't see that as slow. I get people's issues with the structure and the manner of maybe the bids that we've made. But the speeds, I don't have the same level of... You know um criticalness if that's even a word um, <laughs> as is William Kaliba, <laughs> who the hell that is uh, Animal world says the players bought under our title like William Nuno, Sambia, Marie, all of these players will bring good money. That's the most important thing, uh, even if it was the wrong profile. I mean, obviously, Willian didn't bring us anything. But Nuno, I'd expect Arsenal hopefully to make a profit on the £7 million that they made for Nuno Tavares. Sambi, I think we'll be lucky to break even. Marie, we made a little bit of a loss. He's gone to Monza already. But, you know, I think that the idea of Arsenal doing some of their deals um, was to try and bring in some more money. you also got to remember that we've got a lot of youth players coming through that are expected to make Arsenal some money. Um, we've already signed up, you know, in Catia youth. If we sell him, I think you'd be looking for upwards of 20 million didn't cost us a thing to bring through in turn other than wages of course and then you've got following Balogun as well that Arsenal be hoping to make significant money on and on the books it looks really good when you sell a youth talent for a lot of money this is why Chelsea are very open to allowing Mason Mount to leave because it looks really good on their books if they make a good fee for Mason Mount as well as they do with a lot of their young players um, that have come through as well that's why they're open to selling Conor Gallagher this summer as well um let's go to uh Udi says really not sure about Havertz unless he's back up for Saka we really should be going for a physical striker like Turam or Colin Moani Turam is on a free I'm not sure that's the right profile if you said that I can have Havertz or Turam I actually lean towards the German personally Colin Moani you're not going to get unless you're going to be paying Frank for upwards of 100 million euros which I just can't see happening I had a few discussions with people yesterday about kind of the idea of like the strike of the false nine and people saying that we should be going for an out and out center forward. And I've said on the channel, I'd love Arsenal to go out for an out and out center forward. The problem is, is I just don't think the options are out there during this window for a reasonable amount of money. The Colomoanis, the Goncalo Ramos's, the Victor Ozymen's of this world are going to cost you way too much money in a window where our priorities are in midfield and in defense. I just don't see how Arsenal are going to get it done. So when you can get 60 million pound Kai Havertz as a risk, and it might be worth doing, and who knows? He could end up being worth a lot more money. He might not. We'll have to wait and see. But it could be a player that ends up just absolutely smashing that centre-forward false nine position. Jesus becomes something of a wide rotational option. I think people are maybe forgetting about that, The Jesus is basically a winger that plays at centre forward. And I think that that actually is something that we may choose to utilise a lot more next season is if we want to give Saka a rest, you can play Havertz in the middle and then you can play Jesus in the wide area. That might be something that we choose to do to give Saka a bit of a break. We've also got Reese Nelson signing up to a new contract. And I think there's certainly a player there as well that maybe we're discounting. I think that when he came off the bench last season, Reese Nelson was one of our most impressive players off the bench, actually. So if you can harness that ability, you know, maybe there's something there that we can that we can use. Uh, Reese says, Tapsoba is a good centre-back that we could go for. The issue with Tapsoba, and even though he's right-footed, is that he's played on the left for Bayer Leverkusen a lot. And I'm not sure whether or not that means he can't play right. I can't say I've watched loads of taps over. But when I speak to, to Drew and I say, isn't he more of a left-sided centre-back, even though he's right-footed, the answer is usually yes. But I don't see why he couldn't transition to that right-hand side. I also think he'd be very, very expensive. Bayer Leverkusen very good at getting a lot of money for their players. What I also find interesting, and who I don't, haven't necessarily covered during the, kind of the first part of these shows, is... Those links to Moussa Diaby, um, there are links from France, I think it was, to suggest that Arsenal would move ahead of Newcastle in the race to sign Moussa Diaby. I can't see where the money for Diaby is coming from if we're moving for Havertz and Rice and another midfielder and a defender, because surely Bayer Leverkusen are going to ask for upwards of 70-odd million quid, maybe more, to sign Moussa Diaby. And I don't know where that money is coming from, so not sure not sure about that link haven't really taken too much notice of it so far but that could change so let's wait and see um, Jeff says, I can see why Arteta is getting Havertz. He can switch in the front three and play him as a target man up top. What I would say to people, and I was talking to James about this at AFTV the other day, is that I'm not sure I like the idea of Havertz in a wide area. I don't like the idea of Havertz being a you know a depth option to Saka or on the other side. For me, Jesus is the depth option to, to Saka on the right-hand side, and you play Havertz at centre-forward, in the the false nine role. And as I've already mentioned, you play Jesus there. I think that's the rotation that you add when you bring in Havertz. I think the the mistake Chelsea made is that they played him in the wide areas too much. When they signed him with Werner and Werner was playing at centre forward. And of course, I know Werner did play in the wide left position sometimes as well. And Havertz did go through the middle, but they played Havertz for me too often in the wide areas. And I think that restricts his abilities as a player. So I'm not that keen on seeing that happen. I would be keen to see Odegaard and Havertz played the same system as what Bayer Leverkusen did, as both playing kind of 8-10 hybrids um, with Declan Rice holding. You know, it's not the Xhaka role. It's different to that. And I don't like talking about the Xhaka role because for me, players define their own positions based upon their own characteristics. It's not an eight position. It's not the left eights role. If you play Havertz there, it's what I look at as what Bayer Leverkusen did with Julian Brandt and with Kai Havertz, played them in 8-10 hybrids and used them as kind of forward-thinking players with one player sitting. I think that was Aranguiz, I think. I might be wrong, but I think it was Aranguiz, Chilean midfielder. Um, And I think that that dynamic could be interesting to see at Arsenal as well. But don't get it twisted and start saying about Havertz playing in the left eight. It's not the left eight if Havertz play there. He's not playing an eight role. Um, He's playing a very different type of role, more similar to that of Verdegaard. And I think, actually, if you were to play Havertz, in the midfield with, with Erdegaard, Odegaard would not be as forward as much. So that would be an interesting dynamic to consider. So Luke says, what about Benjamin Pavard? Now this is an interesting actual, this is interesting question. Reason being is that Pavard strikes me as very much an Arteta style fullback. I don't know where Pavard's going to go. There's been suggestions that he may have interest from PSG and Liverpool. But Pavard does strike me very much as an Arteta-style defender. So I am interested to see if there is any movement on this. I can't say I know of any Arsenal interest in Pavard. I know it was there when he was at Stuttgart, but of course Bayern Munich with the club coming in. But I would be interested to see what happens. Mickey says, Tom, you've come full circle on the idea of Havertz in midfield. It's not, it's It's more so I think I didn't. What's the word I'm looking for? I don't think I explained myself well enough when I first covered the whole anti Havertz in midfield thing. I think I got very fixated on the idea of people saying Havertz can do what Xhaka did or Havertz can play left eight. And in my mind, my mind was fried a bit because I was like, no, that's not what happened at Bayer Leverkusen. When at Bayer Leverkusen, he wasn't playing left eight. You know, he was playing this hybrid eight, 10 position. So it's not the full circle. It's more like a, a re-evaluation of the position that I was on regarding Havertz's potential to play with Urdegaard." in what you would define as the midfield it's just i think that's explained it better um in that sense i hope that makes sense mickey <laughs> i really hope it does uh arthur says rice lavia diaby and a great defender would be sensational havertz would be decent too uh jonas says how would you rate the window if we were to get rice havertz lavia Cancelo in and Gunduan, turam and dica on a free? well and Dika's already left he's gone to roma so you're not getting him turam and Gundawan, i don't think we need to Ram, if we sign Havertz, to be honest, um, Cancelo. If you, if my window was Rice, Havertz, Lavia, Cancelo, and Gundogan, that's a brilliant window. Oh, no one could tell me otherwise. But that's a brilliant bit of business by Arsenal overall. Yes, there's some risks. Yes, there's some question marks regarding Havertz, sure, and there's always question marks. But if we're just talking about the rating of a window, that's some great business by Arsenal. Getting two midfielders, three midfielders in. If you're getting Rice, Havertz, and uh, sorry, Rice. Uh, Gunduan and, uh, and Lavia. To add a, a versatile fullback in Cancelo and to add a forward as well in Havertz, somebody who can play forward, I think that'd be great, you know. But let's wait and see. That's what I always say to you. Let's wait and see what happens because anything can happen. And uh, I like to kind of save judgment and criticism until the window is closed, until we see... What happens? Um, Omar says, Do you think there will be pressure on Arteta if we go trophyless again next season? Of course, there's going to be pressure. Same way that there's still pressure now. You know, I absolutely agree that the aim is always to win a trophy. That's the aim. You know, it's not the expectation. We've talked about this at length before the differences between aims and expectations, but it has to be the aim of Arsenal. And I think that also this team under this coach is worthy of a trophy. And I think that Arteta needs to get that, you know, we need to see a trophy won. We had great opportunities to win a trophy in the Europa League. Couldn't do it. You know, we had opportunities, I think also elsewhere. Um, maybe to be a bit better in the domestic cups we didn't do it and of course last season we had a great opportunity to win the league and were it not for some horrific injury problems I think we probably would have done it so let's see what happens next season but we need to see Arsenal winning a trophy you know that's got to be the aim we have to reward this team this management these decisions behind the scenes with with silverware so let's hope and keep those fingers crossed that we can do that if we don't win silverware next season we're gonna to have to take a long you know evaluation of what happened where we ended up what happened in different competitions you know why didn't we win a trophy And we can have that discussion then But when people say to me if we don't win a trophy you're going to be arteta out edu out whatever you the answer is simple for me the answer is there is no answer because we need to have an assessment of what happens mm-hmm. you know if you say now also don't win a trophy next season so surely he has to go. I'm like, I understand why you may have that position, but I'd want to see it play out and understand why, what happened happened. If it's all down to our tether, if we regress, if we go backwards, if we fall out of the top four, you know, you're asking serious questions about if we're moving in the right direction, but I don't see that happening. You know, Arsenal have been moving forwards under the majority of Arteta's tenure, and when we weren't moving forwards it's because we were arresting kind of a slide, a slump at the beginning that he had to inherit a horrific situation that was left behind by Unai Emery and of course that period of time between Emery sacking and Arteta's appointment. So, I think that there's a lot to be said about the journey we've been on, but I think that it's obviously moving in a positive direction for me with all the people that are involved at the club right now. Uh, Check Perk says, Kai and Odegaard are nowhere near the same player. (laughs) WTF are you Muppets chatting about? It's always nice when someone can't accept that people have different opinions to others and has to put in. Uh, It's just so frustrating, isn't it? Like I, I don't get it. I don't really understand the need. Um... You know, I should probably vet these comments, throw them out more often, but it's that faith I have in people that's often betrayed. But it's like, if someone's got a different opinion to you, and the opinion in this example, right, this is the opinion we're going to discuss. The opinion is, (laughs) Odegaard's and Havertz have similar traits, or they can play in similar positions. That's the opinion that's been put out. And for some reason, someone feels the need to then call people that have that opinion a muppet. Like, grow up. (laughs) Why are you, 12? Like, that's what I mean. Just have a reason debate. If you don't agree with that point of view, say, You know, I don't agree with that. Here's my reasons why. What do you think? You know, it, it just frustrates me that people can't have a reason discussion about football. And that's what this environment is about. It's what this community is about. So please, if someone has a different view to you, just ask them why or ignore it. If you don't want to talk about it, ignore it. But if you have a different view, you know just ask them the question (laughs) ask them the question why do they have a different view to you why you know That's what I have to do. That's what you should do. That's what I think creates better discussions and better talk about football. Uh, AJ says, even if we get uh, Caicedo, I wouldn't mind Havertz as much. But the fact that we're prioritising him when we're slowly losing Caicedo, I think that for uh, for Arsenal's point of view, AJ, is the reason why we're prioritising Havertz right now is obviously Arsenal want a forward player. They want someone that can offer something in the forward line and they see Havertz as an opportunity. The Caicedo situation, they want two midfielders. And the reality is, AJ, is they've put in offers for two midfielders so far. They've put in an offer for Rice, and they are pushing to try and get that deal done. And they've put in for an offer for Gundawan, and they're kind of waiting to see what happens with the Gundawan situation. For them, Gundawan is a higher priority than Caicedo because he's available on a free contract. And Brighton's asking price for Caicedo is frankly ludicrous. Yeah, £100 million plus is ridiculous. And I trust the sources at The Athletic that have reported that Brighton are asking for triple million million pound figures. I trust that information. So that's why we're prioritizing these deals because at the moment, Brighton's asking price for Caicedo is ludicrous when we're already putting in a record-breaking potential bid for Rice. There's an opportunity for Havertz and we've made an offer for Gundogan. So I know that I know that you've got an issue with the fact that you think that we're prioritizing players over Caicedo when Chelsea are going for him, but there are reasons behind that. You know, there are reasons why we are doing it. Um, Reese says, I'm a Muppet, as in not me, as in actually Reese saying that to himself, just to make that clear. <laughs> but fair enough, Reese. I- I'm not going to, you know, I-, I can't disparage against if you want to be self-critical, that's up to you. <laughs> as long as you're not doing it to others, that's fine. Uh, Mark says, Tom, thanks for creating an environment of respect on this channel. No problem at all. And hey, look, I'm not going to come across as some prophet of, of perfection. I'm not. I've made mistakes. I've sometimes snapped to people. I get it. I know. But that's why, you know, in the reaction to that, I'm telling people out. If you've been blocked on the channel and you think, you know, I really wish I had said that and I regret getting blocked, drop me a DM. Drop me a DM. If we have a good conversation, you know, I'm sure there's a way back. Second chances always. always. Um, let's go to... <laughs> <laughs> let's go to, um, just seeing so many funny comments about this now. Uh, Alex says, Tom, do you think Arsenal only playing with Chelsea? Um, in terms of our only playing with Chelsea, do you mean in the sense of kind of like we're, we're teasing them with the Caicedo stuff or like we're letting them do their business. And then if we agree a fee and a deal with, with Caicedo, then maybe we'll jump in and have them do our hard work for us. Who knows? Maybe I've definitely theorized about that. Um, So I've definitely, yeah, it's definitely been a theory that that is the case. But if that's the reality, I don't know. Uh, Darren says, do you see Arteta extending his contract past 24-25 if he isn't giving substantial support in the transfer windows? He supports the project, but lacks of success must weigh on him to leave. It's a really good question, Darren. If Arsenal miss out on Rice, if we miss out on Kaissado, sorry, if we miss out on Rice and we miss out on Havertz and we miss out on some other priority targets maybe in the summer of 2024, you cannot begrudge Arteta of turning around and being like, these are the players I want. I've taken Arsenal to a level where we competed with Manchester City last season with a squad that, if we're all being very honest, was not ready to do that. And we overachieved in taking that team to that level. I think Arteta would be well within his rights to turn around and say, if you, if you can't deliver, how can you expect me to, to continue to overachieve Every continues uh, if we think about the fact that in 2021-22, 20, our expectation was after we finished eighth, let's get back into Europe. That's that's the expectation for me. Let's get back into Europe, you know. Be it if it was the Europa League, we're back in, that's the next step forward. But we very nearly got top four, despite no one thinking really that Arteta and Arsenal's team was capable of doing that. You know, getting into that 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 top four, we nearly did it. And Arteta, for many, went beyond what the expectation was of that season. I know that a lot of people said, no, Arsenal are entitled to top four, whatever. You know, we've had that discussion. It's boring. We've been there. And then the following season, it was, okay. you know, we got back into the Europa League. We just missed out on top four. We have to get top four this season. That's the expectation. We have to get into top four. And again, he overachieved and nearly won the title. And you can't constantly expect a coach to continue to overachieve. You know, Pep Guardiola is doing what Pep Guardiola is expected to do with the money, with the squad, with his abilities, with the people around him, with the backing. He's achieving the expectation of Man City. Every competition that Man City go into, they are expected to win. They play the League Cup. They're expected to win it. They play the Premier League. They're expected to win it. They play in the Champions League. They're expected to win it. They go into the FA Cup. They're expected to win it. There's an argument that even though they won the treble, they underachieved because they were favourites for a fourth competition that they lost to Southampton in. You know, that's the reality. It's not, in my mind, it'd be mental to even suggest for a second that you're going to, you know, look at Man City and go, oh, they underachieved last season because they only won three out of four trophies. But the reality is, is that they go into every single competition as favourites. So if they miss out on any of them, technically, they've underachieved based upon the numbers and the favourites and the betting side of things and the odds of them winning competitions. But they haven't obviously done that in the reality and the context of common sense. They've absolutely not. But from an Arsenal point of view, it's completely different because we're not Man City. We've not had 10 years of investment of, let's say in quotation marks, questionable investment, allegedly. Uh, And they've had the best manager in the world for the last, what, five, six years? So from an Arsenal point of view, if you're overachieving, at some point you have to, as Arteta, go and turn around and say, it gets to a stage where I can't be expected to overachieve every season because you've got to back me and you've got to put me into a position where the expectation is or the aim, even the expectation. If we get to the same level of City, if I go into a season think that Arsenal's squad is on par with Man City's, right? And I've said this before and I've, I've done these... um I've done these phone-in shows where people have said, what for you is the expectation of Arsenal and all this stuff? And I said, until Arsenal are on a par with City in terms of their squad, in terms of what is available at Arteta's disposal, if Arsenal's squad, let's say 18 players of competitive level, or is on par with that with Man City, then I can turn around and say, the expectation of Arsenal this season is we've got to win the title. We've got to beat City to the title because our squad is capable of doing that, right? And until that point... Arteta's got an argument to say that you've got to back me and get me to that level. You know, you've got to get me to that level because expecting me to constantly overachieve and overachieve and overachieve is not sustainable. So you've got to get the club into a position where it is, you know, as close to if not on par with Man City to have the expectation of beating them. Until then, it's the aim. Until we get to on par with City in terms of the resources available to Mikel Arteta's squads it is, can only be an aim. It can only be that. And I think I heard, some. was it on TalkSpot? I think I heard someone talking about this. They said, Arteta goes into every season with an expectation by as many to overachieve, to beat City. Because there is no team in the country that at the moment in time, you know, Liverpool did it, they overachieved when they won the league. When they won the Champions League, they overachieved when they did that. That wasn't the expectation on Liverpool's side of things. They certainly then went into, ex- they certainly went into seasons with an expectation of challenging City again the reality is that city was still the best team in the country and were the favorites for every single competition that they entered and they're going to be the favorites for every competition they enter next season so darren you've sparked a really good conversation here with your question but like i hope that makes sense like i hope that i hope that's coherent that i've made that clear enough because you can't and we can't keep expecting Arteta to overachieve. The club have got to back him. The club have got to get his priority targets. They've got to get in the players they want. And guess what? If they turn out to be the wrong players, that's then on Arteta. So if Havertz is the player that Arteta wants, and Havertz is terrible, and it turns out we've over we've we've overspent on him, we've taken a risk, and Havertz flops, I'll be the first one turning around and said, that was a risk and it's not paid off. I was willing to sit here and, as I've said, try and make sense of it back the idea of the signing and trust Arteta because we've made some good decisions in the market, I'll be the first one to turn around and when and fails and says, Arteta, that's on you because you're the one that wanted to push for that player for a lot of money and it was a big risk and it's not worked out. So until we back the, until we back the manager, all the energy is on owners and the people moving the transfers. And if we start to underachieve as a football club on the pitch, that's when I start looking at Mikel Arteta. And for anyone that tells me that we underachieved in the last two seasons, I can't personally see that. I can't personally see that that's the case. For me, in 21-22, we achieved what I set out at the start of the season was, was to get back into Europe. We nearly overachieved by getting into the Champions League. And last season, I set out with the expectation of top four, qualify for the Champions League. We're absolutely capable of doing that. And we went one step further when we nearly won the title. And we overachieved again. And that's, as I say, that's not sustainable. You can't keep overachieving. Next season, as we proved last season, we have a squad capable of challenging, of pushing Man City, of trying to get as close as we feasibly can to a title. That's what we proved last season. Now, we can't go backwards. Yes, it's going to be harder. Yes, Liverpool are going to get stronger. Yes, Chelsea are going to get stronger. Yes, Manchester United are going to get stronger. They're all going to get better. Spurs, Newcastle, um, all these teams are going to get better. But so are we. That's the point of a transfer window. And it's also why I don't get the whole argument of we've spent £400 million and won nothing. You know, this idea that we've spent £400 million and won nothing is such a warped, skewed, biased viewpoint. Because when you turn around and say, we've spent £400 million pounds and won nothing, which A, isn't true, because obviously we won the FA Cup and the Community Shield. But B, it completely ignores what every other club does. You know it's like saying um let's put let's say you've got six runners yeah you got six runners and in a months time those six runners are gonna do are gonna uh, are gonna have a race they're gonna have a hundred meter race in a month's time and if we're Arsenal and we're in this race to run that hundred meters right Arsenal invest in you know running shoes they invest in a personal trainer and a coach for their running and they improve themselves to a point where you know, under a budget that they can get ready for that race. And Man City get better shoes than us, get a better training than us, that have a better foundation of a physical attributes than us at the start of the, at the start of that month. And the other clubs, Chelsea, also invest. Man United, also invest. Liverpool, also invest. And when you come to that race in a month's time and all those runners are then going and we don't win that race, we can't turn around and go, but we invested in running shoes and a PT and a running coach. Because the reality is that so did all the other teams. (laughs) All the other teams also invested in all those things to improve themselves. So when you look at it in a closed analysis and go, oh, Arsenal spent 400 million quid. Yeah, but also Man United spent loads of money. And so did Chelsea. And so did City. Yes, we might have spent more than some of those teams. But at the start of the period of time when Arteta came in, it wasn't like all the teams were suddenly on a level playing field. All those teams in 2019 December when Arteta came in were not all at the same stage. You know, they're on different levels of investment before that. They had a different level of existing squad. And Arteta has taken the decision to basically overhaul the entire squad, which I completely respect because I think it was the right decision. We needed to overhaul the squad in its entirety. It's it's why that whole argument of we've spent X amount of money and we've won nothing, which, as I say, A, is not true, and B, is so biased against the club and biased to ignore everything else that's gone on. You know, that's not how it works. Just because you've spent a lot of money, you're not entitled to anything. Ask Chelsea. See where they finished last season after spending 600 million, not since Arteta came in, in one season. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Sorry that I've gone on another rant this morning. Um, and, check Perk, I did see your apology. I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, thank you, everybody, uh, in the chat box for tuning in. Uh, I really appreciate your time, as always. It is always appreciated. Do, indeed, drop a like on the video and subscribe to the channel if you're new. I will be producing some articles over at football.london today, um, and uh, I'll be doing some discussions. I think, actually, I might do an article about that. Um, I always use these morning shows. I use... The chat box uh, a lot for inspiration in a lot of my articles, so I'm always very appreciative that you spark comments. So I think it was was it Darren uh, that asked the original question. Thank you for that question because um, it certainly sparked some um, reason to to write something on that. So I'm probably going to do a piece on that a little bit later on today. Um, and I hope that analogy made sense. I'm not the best with analogies, but I'm hoping that analogy worked. Uh, thank you everybody for tuning everybody for tuning in. Uh, I will see you. Uh, Will I see you later on today? Potentially, maybe. I never promise it because I'm not sure because things happen and I have got a life outside of this. But uh, do check out the articles that I'll be dropping on FL a little bit later on this afternoon. And uh, yeah, I hope you have a fantastic day. Enjoy yourselves. And as always, up the Arsenal.